0: If I ever had the good fortune of being (laughs) a general manager of a team in the league, but in particular Ottawa, I would come on on a regular basis, yes.
1: Write that down, boys. Write that down. (laughs) From your son's underground vault, let's rewind to November 2008, and here's an interview with Pierre Maguire. Pierre Maguire, again, a guy who's very busy and who gets paid for all his appearances, that's his job, has been taking time out every year to talk to us, and I... Personally, myself, I am quite humbled by that. So once again, this year, we are absolutely thrilled to have him back as a guest here on Ascends Underground. It's Pierre Maguire. Good evening, Pierre. How are you tonight?
0: I'm very well, gentlemen. Good to visit with you again.
1: Hey, it's our pleasure to have you back again for our fourth season now, Pierre. It's been four years. You
0: guys are running up the bills, but good. Good for (laughs) you.
1: (laughs) It's what we do. Okay, we're going to talk some Sens, and then we're going to uh, pick your brains on a few things NHL, if you don't mind, tonight. Fire away. All right, so... We just spent about the last hour on our show here talking about the Sands and some of the good signs we've seen and how our, our hopes are starting to turn. So okay. do you think Ottawa has turned a corner? Like, what are the real Sands? And if you look back over that slump, can you explain any of that? Like, Because we've seen a good team. So how could we have seen that other team?
0: Well, I don't think you're out of the woods yet. I hate to put some water on the fire, but I don't think that you're out of the woods yet. I think a big problem for the team is you know, some injury situations, whether it be to Mike Fisher, to Chris Neal, or the inability of the defense to move the puck well. There's too much offensive pressure on Spezza, Heatley and Alfredson. Everybody in the league knows that. Uh, they don't have a, a ton of supplemental scoring, which hurts them, and um, the one real bright spot, which I think can hold true for a while, is, is Alex Alt, who's been tremendous for them and a real positive thing. And uh, he's going to have to maintain that same level, you know, that he's shown here over the last little while, because he's been really consistent. But, uh, fellas, I've been concerned about this since the start of the year. I've been concerned about it since the off season. Um, is that they just don't have a lot of puck moving. And a lot of the reason why is just you've had too many unrestricted free agent defections and you haven't had the ability to replace them. It's a major issue and it's something the team's going to have to address at some point.
2: Spencer takes a lot of abuse, maybe too much, but why does he keep needing to be called out by the coach? And have you ever run across a player in your coaching days like this?
0: No, but I've never had as many talented, you know, outside of Mario Lemieux, and Ronnie Francis, you know, and Joey Mullen, I'm talking about forwards that I've had the privilege of coaching, and Jaromir Yager, you know, Jason Spezza is one of the elite talents that's come into the league over the last 10 years. Now, to be fair, the expectation level on Jason Spetz has been extremely high, and I'm not sure he's ever met that expectation level, but I do know this, he had over 90 points last year. And he's played with a guy in Danny Heatley that's had back-to-back 50 goal years and 41 last year, and Spezza was a huge reason why those goals went in. Heatley's a great player, but Spezza's a big part of the process in terms of setting him up. What I I have a problem with is that you know people get mad at Jason, whether it be coaches or whether it be fans, in terms of his puck handling and sometimes turning it over. But when you drafted Jason Spezza you knew what you were getting. He was a high-risk player that, while there was high risk, there's also very high reward. He's still, excuse me, very young in his development as a player, and uh, I still think the future is extremely bright for him. But I understand the frustration level of people that say, you know, Spezza turns this over, and Spezza doesn't do this defensively, and Spezza doesn't hit people. Well, I'll tell you what he did last year that's made him a lot better. He improved his skating a ton. And you can't fault his skating anymore. And that was one of the knocks on him. So the skating can't be faulted anymore. And I do think, based on his experience at the World Championships last year in Halifax and Quebec City, that his defense has gotten a lot better as well.
3: I'm kind of wondering about Routu. Um, I mean what are
0: you worried <laughs> about or what are you wondering
3: I'm, well what I'm wondering is I mean us the fans here in Ottawa have never really gotten to experience somebody that can take control of a game like that and do you think that he crosses the line when he taunts the fans I mean what do you think of his act on Ottawa, in Ottawa's um, dressing room
0: well I don't know how he fits in the dressing room because I haven't been around their room enough and I'm looking forward to being around their room a little bit more uh, coming up in the second half of the year and also uh, before Christmas but, you know, Yarko was a very important player for Pittsburgh. I can tell you this. The Pittsburgh management was very sorry to see him leave because they put a bona fide offer on the table to try to keep him, and he decided to go to, to Ottawa for more money and also into a huge hockey market. But I've known the Two boys, you know, Tuomo and Yarko, for a long time. Uh, I think that sometimes Yarko can go over the line, but I think he also has to play that way in order to be successful because he's not going to get – First or top six forward minutes. So, in order for him to make an impact on the game, sometimes he has to cross the line. And, you know, hopefully it's not always going to be like crossing the line when he elbowed Maxime Lapierre in the head. But, the- uh, you know, as far as Tom and the fans go, I, I don't know what you guys are alluding to. You guys probably see more than I do in terms of that stuff. I haven't seen him do that.
3: Incidentally, we do love him. So.
0: i got to tell you, I'm biased towards the brothers. I get along great with them. I uh, think the world loves them. I've been around them a lot at world championships or world juniors or like last year going in the Stanley Cup final, and I just really respect what both of them have been able to do.
1: we got an email sent in from one of our listeners, Alan Gobi, for you, and he says, uh, I'd like to ask you about the puck-moving defenseman that you alluded to earlier. He said, said, uh, should Murray have broken the bank for Brian Campbell, and should he do it for Bo And he'd also like your opinion on Eric Carlson.
0: Well, first of all, Eric Carlson's really good. And uh, I was a huge proponent of Ottawa drafting him. I thought he would actually go higher in the draft. Uh, Not a lot higher, but a little bit higher. Uh, So Ottawa, I think, stole a player there. I told the fans in Ottawa when they got Carlson that he was a tremendous player, and I know the Ottawa scouts have seen him play this year and are very happy with him. Friends of mine that play in the Swedish league or are coaching over there can't say enough good things about him. So that's a positive. As far as as Brian Campbell goes, I wouldn't have broken the bank for him. I don't think you can break the bank anymore for unrestricted free agents when you're still a team that's got three players, Alfredson, Speth, Healy. They're garnering so much money. If you break the bank on another player, then you're basically limiting your options as an organization. That's the problem. Um, and I understand, and Alfred and Spets and Helia do, at some point they're going to have to make a decision on Jason Spitz. Are they keeping him, or are they are they going to move him? If they move him, they better make the because players like him are very hard to replace.
1: Hmm. Actually, on the topic of the uh, puck-moving defenseman, a couple of years ago on this show, I'd asked you a question that you kind of spanked me for. And I, I turned sheepishly away from the microphone at that point. <laughs> but I got to ask you about that. It seemed that um, in this generation, there seemed to be fewer of the quality puck-moving defensemen. That was my thought at the time. Um, but sort of looking at the, the struggles that a lot of teams seem to have, the fines and the demand for them, do you, you think that's still the case?
0: They don't have as many because of the cap. You can't have uh, an overload. You look at Detroit, they're lucky because they got four guys that are really good at moving the puck, Ravalski, Lidstrom, Stewart, and Cronwall. And then you have another guy that can really skate in Lebda. And you got a guy that's playing as a forward right now, Derek Meech, uh, who's a very good puck-moving defenseman. So they've got an abundance of them. But what they tell their guys in Detroit is, for instance, Chris Draper, if you want to stay, you're going to have to take a salary drop or a cut in pay in order to stay here. If not, you've got to move along. You know, And that's how they do their business here. The problem is you've got to draft a lot of these guys. And you got to get lucky on some of them. You know, the only thing that changed in Detroit was they get Chelios to come in and play at $750,000 a year as an older guy. They sign Lebda to a long-term deal at $800,000 a year. They get Meech at around $600,000 a year. You get my drift, that allows them to pay. Rafalski is an unrestricted free agent to play alongside Lindstrom. So you've got to draft a lot of these guys if you're going to be able to find you know, an abundance of puck-moving defensemen. But they're out there. Um, I'll give you a case in point. If you look at Vancouver right now and you look at you know Willie Mitchell, who goes over as an unrestricted free agent, not what most people consider a real great puck mover, but his first pass is excellent. Matthias Olin, same kind of deal. Alexander Edler, same kind of deal. Um, So, you know, they've been able to put together a pretty good puck-moving defense. You look in Chicago right now, Brian Campbell's there. Uh, You look at Brent Seabrook, who's there. You look at Cam Barker, who's there. You look at Duncan Keith, who's there. Um, there's a reason why some of these teams are moving to the top, and then I'll do San Jose, and then we'll get off this subject. Danny Boyle is having a Norris Trophy kind of a year. Rob Blake's having a tremendous year. Mark Edward Blasic is an unbelievable puck mover. So you know the teams that are winning with consistency, they have unbelievable puck movers on the back end, and they got an abundance of them.
3: On to an NHL type question. Okay, uh, I'm a little bit <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a little bit confused by Tampa Bay um <laughs> is yes. any is anybody driving the ship down there i mean it I, I i the stories are unbelievable
0: i don't know what stories you've heard well i mean but, just the, uh,
3: the change the turnover the, the yeah. i mean what happened with dan boyle then barry melrose
0: and now i mean the dan boyle move was was let's put it this way not very intelligent i didn't like it at the time i said it uh, their owner, Orrin Coolis, confronted me in Toronto about it face to face. I told him Orrin, I don't care what you think, I'm telling you right now, Matt Carl's not as good as Dan Boyle. That was a bad trade by an organization that couldn't afford to lose a good defenseman like Dan Boyle. Well guess what? Two weeks or ten days later they traded Matt Carl to Philadelphia. So I think I was right and he was wrong. I mean, they made a bad move there. And I don't know who talked him into that hot of them, but that was a bad move. Uh, I think the Mazzaro deal was a bad move. Not so much because Mazzaro would have helped Ottawa. But what happened was with Mizaros is you're taking a gigantic cap hit, number one. And number two, I don't think he's a number one guy. If you look at his record, and you guys probably have the guide and record book in front of you, the NHL guide and record book, check his stats after his relationship with Chara broke up and Chara moved to Boston. It dwindled unbelievably in terms of his success rate uh, as an NHL defenseman. So uh, I didn't like the moves they made on defense. I thought they overspent at the forward position. Uh, Ryan Malone I don't think was as good as his record showed last year in Pittsburgh, and that's a problem. And you can see he hasn't had much of a year this year in Tampa Bay. Uh, they had an injured Vinny LeCavalier and, and the coach kind of alienated him. They had Marty St. Louis, who wasn't being used in shootout situations. one of the best shootout players in the league by Barry Melrose. They had Vinny Prospil playing close to 23 minutes a game. God, they had a lot of issues there. And so they changed the coach, and now I think they got a guy in there that'll stabilize things in Rick Tockett. It. But it's still they didn't build their team right right out of the gate. They built it wrong. They built it in inverse order. They went from the forward position to the defense position, where they should have been going from the defense position to the forward position. Well.
2: Okay, so we all know Burke to Toronto is going to happen. It's like the worst kept secret in the NHL.
0: That's going to be done before the end of this week.
2: All right, so then why would Fletcher make a trade days before Burke is about to move in? And at the same time, what are your thoughts on, on that actual trade?
0: Well, the trade happens because Ron Wilson, the coach in Toronto, has no time for Alex Steen, who has been underachieving offensively since he's come into the league, uh, because of the expectation level that was built up on him. And they also trade Carlo Koliaklo because, as the coach said, you know they think he's a broken house. He just keeps getting hurt all the time. And the record would actually speak to that, but he is. I think both those young men need to start in a different city. I think going to St. Louis is a perfect tonic that will help both of them. I don't think the level gets get to the level that the Toronto media created for them but I do think they're better than what their records show right now and I think Lee Stempniak will go into Toronto and and be a top six forward and probably get close to 25 goals he will be between 25 and 30 goals and I think that's a very reliable player and a good player uh, and he's signed for a couple more years, so they're okay dollar-wise. on him, he's not going to be somebody who's going to hurt them in terms of going out and getting other players. So I, I think it's a deal that kind of works out for both teams. But I, I will say this, is that I think Cliff made this deal because Ron Wilson had no time for Steen and no time for Koliakobo. And so when your coach doesn't want players and your coach is signed to a long-term deal, you can't have players dwindling on your roster, eating up cap space. you got to move them.
1: Oh, incidentally, Pierre, we think that the Misero's trade was a fantastic move by uh, Tampa.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure you do. <laughs> this is the sense
3: Underground, right?
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Okay.
1: Um, back on Brian Burke, um, how is he regarded around the league? I mean, the guy is so high profile. Is he considered to be like a bully, a blowhard, a pain in the ass, or just a, a really smart hockey guy, or all of the above?
0: He's Well, I don't know about a pain in the behind, but uh, I will say this. I worked for Brian. I was hired by Brian. Um, I had some fun with Brian, and I had some really bad times with Brian. Uh, But now I would say that we're friends. Um, We talked quite a bit. We talked about some of our issues probably five or six years ago and got them straightened out at Gordon Miller's wedding with George, uh, the Washington Capitals being the referee. Um, (laughs) And we took care of it all. Uh, And so we haven't had any issues since, but... Quite frankly, uh, Brian is very organized. He's very intelligent. He's more than just a hockey man. He's a very good businessman. So he fits the prerequisite to go into Toronto and be the president and general manager because his business knowledge of hockey is extremely strong. Um, He's going to delegate extremely well. He's going to bring Dave Nolus. I think he's going to change a little bit of their scouting staff uh, and add better people than what they might have had right now. And So I think going forward, you know, Brian's going to change the culture in Toronto in a good way, not a bad way. And I think he's going to lower the expectation level and take a lot of the heat that the players have been under, and he'll take most of it. And that's what should happen in that city. The the manager, uh, especially when he's given a six-year contract, like Brian's going to be given a $3 million a year with a $500,000 signing bonus, You know, the manager should be taking some of the heat and deflecting and let the players just go out and play.
1: All right, final question for you, Pierre, before we cut you loose. What, what do you think of the Sen sweaters? The third jerseys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm a traditionalist. I'm not a big fan of the third jersey. I really am not. A, but I will say this, of the third sweaters that are out there, I like Ottawa's probably... The most. You know, I haven't seen all the Canadian sweaters yet. Montreal is going to, I think, what are they, unveiling six or seven different ones this year. But uh, I like the barbershop one in Montreal. I'm looking forward to seeing that one unveiled. But uh, of all the third sweaters, I think probably Ottawa is the best one. What do you guys think?
1: Uh, we're okay with it. We're not totally blown away. Actually, still yeah, a- I, I mean, hate it.
0: I think I'm it's terrible. I'm kind of the same. You think it's terrible? It's terrible. I think it's okay. I don't so mind. I, it. I'm just not a big fan of the third sweaters. You know, I, I, there's one team, and I will not say their name, but I, I probably watch as many games as most people in North America. I watch three to five games a day. And there's one team in the NHL, their new sweater, I cannot Tell who the players are, and I know every number of every player in the league.
1: Thrashers, and I'm what's that? <laughs> thrashers?
0: Did you say Th- Thrashers?
1: Thrashers? Is it them?
0: No, <laughs> no. But I would tell you if you guessed it. I'll give you one more guess.
1: Uh, I'm going to run out of time. I won't get it. So it's <laughs> Carolina.
0: It's Carolina. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Carolina's new sweater. I can't. I emailed the guy at the NHL office. I'm like, how could you guys have approved these? Well, can't even tell who the players are. Yeah.
1: It's funny you bring up the NHL office on this topic. We're starting to see a lot of sweaters around the league that has the name of the teams on the front of the sweater. Now, mm-hmm. Some people might say that there's another league called the NBA that has that, and it just happens that our commissioner came from the NBA. Is there any sort of coincidence happening there?
0: No, I yeah. don't, but I do know this. It's mass marketing. It's These guys do unbelievably big uh, studies on this stuff. About colors and about lettering and about what kind of letters and what kind of numbers. I've actually been part of a thing that uh, does it for the World Junior um, because of the numbering. Um, and I won't say the company, but originally their numbering was too small and it was tough for the fans to pick out. And so we sat down with them and changed the number from a slick kind of Europe numbers to a more block numbering. And it, it really made a big difference. And I think, I know they do studies on this and a lot of it is for you know demographics and, and the younger demographic but so I don't think it has anything to do with the NBA I think it just has to do with professional sports studies in general. Go ahead.
3: I was going to say Pierre I also have to let you
0: know
3: I have to let you know that uh, your name has uh, once again been mentioned by the media uh, and connected with some um, of the role as general manager in Ottawa so yeah yeah <laughs> So I'm looking forward to it when it finally happens.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? You guys are flattering, and it's it's an unbelievable thing um, to have your name mentioned. That people think enough of you to put your name in there. But Brian Murray's the general manager right now. Uh, it is one of 30 teams in the league, so whenever your name's mentioned, I think you have to take that as a very positive thing and an honor almost. Um, you know, I just signed a six-year extension at TSN. Uh, can I get out of that? The answer is yes. Um, but I also know that these people have been unbelievably good to me, and I respect people that run NHL teams all over the league, whether I think they're doing a good job or not. I know that the duress they're under, so I think it's better for me to let other people talk about me than let me talk about myself, but at some point I hope later on in my life that I have a chance to go work for an NHL team, and hopefully it's a Canadian team.
2: Right. Okay, so one more here. This is a question from one of our listeners. He says, Sure. Hi, Pierre. While not completely ridiculous, should the fans and players feel great about this all-hab lineup, Mike Komasarek being an all-star? And do you think the league would treat this any different if Montreal saw an All-Panthers lineup and ballot stuffing instead? And keep up the responsible reporting, Centoble.
0: What an awesome question, and uh, I could not agree more with the email. Uh, quite frankly, I, I am appalled by what's gone on, but I also understand the fan base in Montreal is euphoric about hosting the All Star Game, and the fact that it's 100 years of hockey and they haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1993. I understand all that stuff. Um, so, uh, and their passion levels inflamed because they think they have a team that's good enough to win it this year, or be close to winning it. I understand all that. I don't think it's a huge issue, but I just think at some point it's a little bit ridiculous and emailers, right, if this All-Star game was in Florida and let's say the five starting players plus the goalie to make it six were all from four. I'm much sure. allowed. And I don't think they're going to allow that in Montreal either.
1: How about the Habs uh, fans uh, act last night with O'Brien?
0: Didn't like it at all. Yeah. I thought it was uh, terrible. As, as proud as I was to be a Montrealer and, and an the city of Montreal uh, and proud to say that and as well as the city did uh, with the Grey Cup which was a phenomenal experience for everybody involved. Um, they really let me down last night in terms of being able to walk around with my head held high and we got the best fans in hockey you know, based on what they did last night to that young man. Obviously, you know, the passion levels, as I said, are inflamed but that, that was wrong. That wouldn't have happened in the 70s. If Larry Robinson had put that puck in his own net, uh, that would not have happened in the 70s. It shows you that we're going through a cultural change, and we have for a long time.
1: Well, we talked about the puck defenseman earlier. I thought that was a hell of a shot he took. <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> of course you would. The show sends underground. Sends underground. <laughs> and- <laughs> you guys are good. You know what? I'm I'm sorry we only get to do this once a year. I wish we could do it more often. I really enjoyed being with you guys. You ask pertinent questions, and it's a ton of fun.
1: We'll track you down. And the day that you become our GM, will you still talk to us?
0: If I ever had the good fortune of being <laughs> a general manager of a team in the league, but in particular Ottawa, I would come on on a regular basis, yes.
1: Wow. Write that down, boys.
0: Write that down. <laughs> beer, Write it thanks down. a lot. Okay.
1: That was fantastic. Again, we know you're a very busy man, and we appreciate you taking some time for us. And
0: I'm never too busy to do this. Thank you very much for thinking of me, and I look forward to talking with you guys down the road. Do you know how to get in touch with me? We
1: do now. Yes, you do. <laughs> Take care, gentlemen. Thanks, Beer. Thanks,
0: Bye. beer. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.